There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast with me, Alison Perry. When you have a new baby, it can be tempting to try and get back to normal life as quickly as possible. But my guests today are firm believers in the fourth trimester, a time where you allow your body and mind to heal from giving birth and give yourself a chance to adjust to caring for the new baby. Alexis Stickland is a midwife and antenatal teacher and Becky Hans is a doula and massage therapist specialising in antenatal and postnatal treatments. They're also the authors of the book The Little Book of Self-Care for New Mums which I read when my twins were a week old and it was so reassuring and so helpful. Alexis and Becky talked to me about how to get the most out of our fourth trimester with lots of tips and advice. Welcome, Becky and Alexis, to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being here. Uh, So, Becky, you're a doula. Yes. And a massage therapist who specialises in pre and postnatal treatments. Yes, I am. So if you could just pop over here and give me a bit of a back rub (laughs) while we record. She spends her life asking me for massages. I think (laughs) as we're business partners that she would give me a little bit more massage time, but it doesn't happen. Oh, that's not good. Occasionally, like, squeeze a shoulder on my way past her. Sometimes I I invent an ailment that means that she has to give me a little neck stretch and rub. Yeah, I could do with just a little bit stiff just around here yeah um and alexis you are a midwife yep. and an antenatal teacher aren't Absolutely, you yes. and together you have written an amazing book called the little book of self-care for new mums yes, yes, um which uh i read when my twins were about a week old oh did you yes oh good um, your, your publication basically coincided quite handily with me uh, popping out two twins. That's great because then it was quite valid. Like you were reading it in that exactly. That moment, yeah. And I, I actually remember one day knowing that um, this book was on its way to me and feeling like, oh, I just really wish I had it today because I really I know there's going to be stuff in this mm. that will be useful to me. And then like devouring it Brilliant. when it arrived <laughs> and just having this real kind of feeling of like. I really need to put this on Instagram and tell people about this book. It was a real kind of almost like evangelical feeling of, I need other new mums to know about this book. It's so amazing. And Alison, it's really good that you say that you were able to dip into it when your kids were a week old because the whole point was that 
you could break down the sections, that there were quick fixes, that there were top tips, that there were things that you could just get drip, 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 rather than having to sit down and sort of, you know, digest a manual yeah. about the postnatal period. When you're, when you're in that yeah. first really early kind of just had a baby phase, the last thing you need to be doing is sitting down. I mean, it's yeah. impossible. You couldn't sit down and read a really wordy book, could no. you? No, we kept stripping it back when we were writing. We were like, no, less, right, strip it right back. How can we condense it? Because we wanted them to be really short little chapters. Mm. Which must be hard because you guys are obviously experts in your field mm-hmm. and, you know, this is what you live and breathe and what yeah. you do as a job. So yeah. to... We had to really rein ourselves we're, in. We're going through the process again now at the moment and what tends to happen is we write three times more than we need and then it gets edited three times wow. and we get it down eventually to where it needs to be. Yeah, we've got quite a brilliantly so, harsh editor who that's goes, ah, harve it. But that's brilliant because that yeah. means that all the information is there to begin with yeah. and then you're just sort of um, cherry-picking the best yeah, bits. Yeah. yeah, it's easier to cut it down than it is to try and pad it out. So, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, so what are your own family lives like? How many kids have you got between you? Well, I, Alexis here, I've got three. I've got uh, Toby, who's seven, Ivy, who's six. That was 18 months apart. That was interesting. (laughs) And then we've got Wilfie, who is three years old. So definitely still right in the thick of it in those incredibly, you know, enriching but challenging years I love of that. motherhood. Enriching but challenging. <laughs> I know, it took a positive spin on it, Alison. Yeah, no, no, but do you know what? That, that really does sum it up because... I remember having having a conversation with a friend um, who hasn't got kids and it was when uh, my daughter might have been about six and she knew we wanted to have another. And she kind of turned to me and she said, but you had postnatal depression and you really struggled Mm -hmm. and I'm really surprised that you Mm -hmm. want to have another. And I was like, oh, but you do realise that having kids is like one of the best things that you can ever do. It's one of the hardest things. So enriching but challenging, Mm. I think, is a really good way of of expressing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a crazy journey, isn't it? it? Um, So, yeah, kids. So I'm I'm sort of through... I'm actually kind of almost mourning the crazy phase because mine are 13 and 11. So I've got one at secondary, one finishing primary and about to start secondary. Um... And actually, I looked after Lecky's two littlest ones the other day and I was like, come on, guys, should we make masks? And I, <laughs> and I took them to buy cakes. And it's kind of like, I mean, it's again, it's amazing and quite challenging. You know, there's hormones coming into play and mm. it's a whole different kind of parenting. But um, it's so interesting yeah. when you've got friends at different stages, because I'm still really in the thick of, you know, the bedtime hour for me is still quite you know, can be a bit overwhelming at times. I can't deny that. And then I speak to Becky and she's like, oh, I wish my, my kids still wanted me to read to them as they went to sleep in the oh, evening. And it's, how do we shoehorn it all in? It's, it's tough, is it, isn't it, at times? Do you think some of that is rose-tinted glasses? So do you think you're kind Probably, of looking yeah. back and just remembering? It's like labour, isn't it? You yeah. sort of, you go back, you go, it was all right. I mean, that's why we have other children. You're like, it was all fine. You know, it's sort of, Absolutely. I think it's... um it's about letting go. Like ours are obviously spreading their wings and you have more time without them around and I kind of I miss them a bit actually yeah um well I guess you go from that that kind of phase 
where they still want you and still need you and rely yeah. on you for so much and then they are becoming independent yeah. and that's quite an adjustment for, yeah. for a mum and a dad isn't yeah it? like this weekend they were out most of the weekend and me and Barney were like um do you want to hang out at all <laughs> at any point <laughs> See, and then... <laughs> dream as someone who's got an eight-year-old who still really wants me to you know watch her shows <laughs> or play a, you know a game of Monopoly with her and yeah. I've got obviously two very demanding mm. understandably twins babies yeah. To me, like have a weekend free. Yeah. That's just like oh. amazing. And actually, Alison, same as you. I don't know. Obviously, I haven't got twin babies, but because Wilfie just turned three, and I've got Toby, he's almost eight, and I'm very conscious of the fact that I want to be seeming always to giving Toby as much attention as the little ones getting. Yeah, that's hard, you know. And it's really difficult. And I, I had a really interesting conversation with my kids the other day, and we were talking about parents and and you know that we were just chatting about the idea that parents don't have favourites when it comes to their children. We love them all. But I asked the kids, I said, what do you think? I wanted to just gauge what their feelings were. And my eldest, Toby, said to me, I don't think you have any favourites. I think we're all equal. My my daughter, who's the middle child, said to me, I think Wilfie's your favourite, the baby. And then the baby, the (laughs) three-year-old, said, I'm your (laughs) favourite. And I thought, isn't that telling yeah. about how kids in the pecking order see themselves? Yeah. Mm. But also real how kids of different ages see themselves. Yes. Like, you know, the yeah. youngest one, well, of course I'm the most important. Yes, exactly. mm. Why wouldn't I be? Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure if you I asked my eight-year-old, and I probably should ask her this, she would probably think that the, that the twins are more important to us because there are so often that we're kind of like, oh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, we're just feeding the twins, or we're just mm-hmm. doing this. So she probably does feel at the moment a little bit pushed to one side. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. It's getting that balance, isn't it? Totally. Of, I've got five minutes. Come and exactly. do this with me. Because those little, it's bringing the little elements in. And this going back to the postnatal thing, we talk about this all the time. It's the little moments along the way. It's not in two months' time. You and I are going to spend a day together, mm. and it's going to be really special. It's like we've got five minutes. Let's talk yeah. and really yeah. invest in them in that moment. Yeah. That's what I'm learning, and we're all learning as we go along. That's aren't the we? thing, it's isn't constant. it? I mean, you, you don't. You've written a book, yeah. but you're still learning Always. as mums, as professionals. I remember a midwife saying to me years ago when I was at Guys and St. Thomas's, I remember a midwife saying to me, the day you think you've learned everything then there is to know as a midwife, you probably need to be leaving the profession. That's so funny because a previous yeah. guest of mine who is um, a doctor said mm-hmm. exactly yeah. that yeah. on the totally. podcast. It's what we're told in all our training. Cause yeah. you, you, they say never, ever think you know it all because yeah. that's when you're on your way out, basically. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's not safe to be like that. So, And as parents, it's the same. Like We, mm. we should be open. I think it's quite an old-fashioned thing to think, I'm a parent, I know everything, yeah. You know, I'm in charge. It's like, actually, our kids can be teaching us stuff. Absolutely. Other parents can be teaching us stuff. Definitely. We're just always learning and... And it, it changes oh, yeah. as well, doesn't it? Like our kids change constantly, so we have to change. Mm-hmm. Like we're finding that we have to have a whole new way of parenting now because they're older and they've got opinions and actually sometimes they yeah. are they're right and we're wrong and we have to go oh that's quite hard though isn't it really hard I think especially because we and I don't know if this thing for you but I was brought up to not really question my parents yeah. mm-hmm. and they were right they, they they were always right and you wouldn't question them yeah. so to be the parent mm-hmm. and to be that kind of actually sometimes I am wrong and you were right yeah. do you know that song that's out at the moment is really popular that um, Giant by Rag and Bonesman yes that's all about he, I heard him talking in an interview that's all about his view 
of how you feel when you're a parent oh. is that you're you're meant to be this giant who can protect and do everything but of course in the moments you know you have it doesn't always feel like mm. we're just people like and we're, we're, just we are vulnerable and mm. yeah 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 you're right so um I really want to chat to you guys about the fourth trimester yes. because that is ultimately um, what your book is about, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yep. And it's for women who are in the fourth trimester to read and, you know, to get some kind of comfort. I mean, for me, when I read it, it really was a feeling of reassurance and comfort mm-hmm. and Yes, there was knowledge there and it was, you know, reminding me of things like the night sweats and, you know, reminding me that things I was experiencing, physical things Mm -hmm. were normal. Yeah. So really reassuring in that way. Um, Let's talk about the foreword, first of all, because when I read, the foreword is a poem by Holly McNish, isn't it? Yes. It's my favourite poem ever. Of all time. Of all time, yeah. When I read it, I was sobbing. Yeah. I mean, bearing (laughs) in mind I was a week into, you know, motherhood with these twins and hormones were racing all over the place, Mm -hmm. but I was just sobbing. And I I got straight onto my phone and I looked up her performing on YouTube and watched her performing it and I shared that on Instagram. I was like, you guys need to see this it's amazing what made you choose that apart from it being your favorite poem of all time what made you guys think this is how we want to start our book do you so want the, the poem's called megatron isn't it yeah it's called megatron by holly minish so i i saw her years and years ago she was an up-and-coming poet and she was it was that video that's on youtube actually where she's in the boxing ring and it was like a poetry slam yeah that a friend dragged me along to and i was like oh, oh. You were there yeah wow. and she blew me away and i hadn't even had kids yet i don't think and and i was just like wow this is amazing um when we set up the mother box we had a launch party and i said to lex i'd really love to get this poem poet to come and read some of her work because it's all about her experience of of being a new mum and being pregnant and uh, I'm going to just email her PR person and just see, you know, she probably won't come, but we'll just see. And she said yes. Wow. Um, and so she came and it was hilarious because she uh, she came and did this reading and it was a room full of women. And when she did Megatron, my husband was there doing all the AV stuff for us. And when she did Megatron, he said he literally like backtracked out of the room because the female energy was almost quite scary. Wow. <laughs> it was just like the women, you know, it was just, it's so emotive, isn't it? Yeah. And it's such a celebration of what our body does and I think that's why we thought you know what what better way could you open a book about celebrating the postnatal period so yeah she came along it was just it was mind-blowing seeing her actually and she's so humble and so talented and she just performed Megatron and just brought the house down because we asked Penguin we said you know do you think we could have this as a a forward and they were like well yeah but I mean she'll never agree to it so I emailed her and she's so amazing she just went yeah that sounds amazing (laughs) Do you know what? That's such a good lesson in just asking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you just never know. No. And, you know, assuming that people are going to say no to things. You, you yeah. Know. Don't ask, you don't get. I mean, exactly. we got that poem as the opening to the book. Yeah. How incredible. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Um, I've got tickets to go and see her in a few weeks' time, which I'm You're very excited about. It. She's brilliant, like, you know, like really performs it yeah. well. Yeah. Oh. Oh, can't wait. So, um, what are the challenges of the fourth trimester? I think if I can go back a bit to actually why we wanted to write this book and why we're so passionate about it is because we didn't invent the fourth trimester. And I know that it's really buzzy at the moment and it's getting quite a lot of sort of talk. But the bottom line is it goes back to the basics 
of humans having babies. Over the years, Becky and I have been so, so lucky that we've both had a chance to work abroad. We've worked with traditional midwives in different countries. We've seen firsthand what it looks like when a community rallies together and basically relieves a new mum of every single responsibility except for caring for her newborn baby, physically healing from birthing and mentally adjusting to motherhood. We've seen what it looks like. Nothing else is within her remit during that time. That could be 40 days, that could be six weeks, you know, sort of uh, around about that time in a lot of cultures. And we just thought, we know that we're not set up for this in the UK in the way that many, many other countries are. And why do you think that is? I mean, do you think we were one set up Absolutely. in that way? Absolutely. Yeah, Some when it was much more common to have home births and you had your community midwives. Um, and it's funny, isn't it? Because obviously I think with the medicalisation of birth, which, you know, we're lucky to have because we need it sometimes. It, so, saves, it saves lives, yeah, let's be honest. absolutely. And we're so lucky, you know, Lord love the NHS and we're, you know, privileged to have it. But with that medicalization of birth then you know we had to go to the hospitals there was less community and so communities dispersed a little bit and there wasn't that rallying around mm-hmm. quite so much i think that's one of the elements it's of, probably the yeah the yeah. funding element of it yeah that's definitely changed and i can say that even the last 15 years of being a midwife when i first started all postnatal visits would be at home after a new mum went home with her baby and i would think of nothing better than arriving and someone being in bed still at 11am, curtains drawn, having that time with their baby. Now, of course, we say day three, we need you to come into clinic because there aren't the midwives to come and see you. And so things have changed. There's been a, you know, and that can be to do with funding and and such like as well. But I think there's also an element in perhaps in the UK that we could argue that women's role has changed slightly. Mm. And with that, it felt like over the years, we had to almost adopt that stiff upper lip. That idea that you've had a baby, you're not ill, you've just given birth. And so there was like this real, like almost like an avoidance of the grey area. It was like you're either sick after you've had a baby or just crack on and get on with it because you're not unwell. Also, how much of it do you think is to do with you know, the rise of feminism and, you know, Definitely. I'm an independent because I think when I had my, my eldest, it wouldn't even have occurred to me mm. to stay in bed yeah. for a very long It was a case of just crack on, yeah, you know, I, I can do this and I, I'm just going to try and get back to normal, Yeah, Alison, whatever I, normal is. I agree. I think it's that yeah. sort of, but it's a, a society's way that we, like the pressures that we have upon us is, is, is the way we view ourselves. So I had a a client recently and she was raging that we, during her massage we were chatting and she had a section um male doctor came and signed her off and said to her okay off you go you know rest for a little bit but you can be back to your duties and you know in a day or two and she was like right okay then said she felt really wobbly uh literally three weeks later her husband had a hernia operation and she went to pick him up from the hospital with her mum and a male doctor came and signed him off and said now remember you have had major abdominal surgery you must rest until you feel better and she was she said her jaw dropped and she was like are you joking yeah so it's it's again it's the way that we're treated it's that sort of societal pressure to just mm-hmm. get on with it and yeah. not make a fuss and yeah. be a good lady and i think the most important thing to remember and i always talk about this in the classes i'm running is that even if you're not unwell postnatally your hormones and your brain and your body have been through more than you can imagine in your lifetime, your hormones will never change again 
as swiftly as they do the the moment after your babies are born, whether it be abdominal or vaginal delivery, your oestrogen and your progesterone plummets. When you're pregnant, it's about 100 times more than its normal level. So afterwards, even if physically perhaps, you know, you haven't had stitches or you haven't had surgery, what is going on behind closed doors is massive. It's colossal. And we always say the danger is you mistake that adrenaline you have when your babies are first born for energy. Yeah. You crack on like there's no tomorrow. Oh, I had a baby three days ago, but I'm out in the park walking the dogs or whatever. And everyone's saying, isn't she doing well? But what goes up has to come down. And what you find is if you do not pause after the babies are born or the baby's born, at some point it will catch up with you. It always does, mm. physically and perhaps even mentally at times. So what's the best scenario then? Because I've heard some people say that um, it's good to aim for a week on a week in bed and a week in, on the sofa. Yeah, well, that's our rule of thumb that we, we always say, week in bed, week on the sofa. A week in bed, if you think about it, all your organs have to suddenly shift place again. So if you're up walking around, they're falling into all sorts of weird... So when we're massaging abdominally, sometimes you're like... I shouldn't be there and you almost have to nudge an organ back it's funny, in, you isn't know because when, of... when you see those drawings those kind of diagrams of the human body yeah. you know normally and then when you know like 9 months pregnant you just think how how That's are all insane. the organs being squished into those <laughs> tiny spaces? Yeah. So yeah, you're right. They you're... have to all then shift back, yeah. don't and they? And your body knows how to do that. But obviously, when you're resting, it can do it really gradually and really sensitively. But if you're marching around the park, you know, gravity then pulls things and women often feel dragging in their pelvic floor because obviously it's not quite tight enough yet to hold everything in place so we always say to women just just think about what your body's doing in that first week um you know and also then if you're in bed for the first week you can have your boobs out you can have baby on and off you know you have your skin to skin which really does help you both um and in cultures where we've worked where women take to bed for for longer than a week um you know anxiety and depression levels are really really low and breastfeeding if you choose to breastfeed rates are really high so it isn't rocket science actually if you look at the proof in the pudding as the midwife i always bring the defensive practice here whenever we discuss this (laughs) becky knows me well Obviously, like one one day, sorry, one week in, in bed and then one on the sofa, but gently mobilising throughout because, you know, nobody wants a DVT postnatally. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> gentle stretches and mobilisation. When we were writing the book, there's constant, like, goes, can I just uh, defensive practice that bit? And I'm like, mm-hmm. yes. And if you've had a C-section, I guess as well, it's really important to be gradually moving more. And yeah. But well, you'll, you'll go to the loo, you'll walk to the loo and back. You might walk and get a glass of water. But generally, as long as you're getting back into bed and resting in between those things. We um, had a lady that we were working with recently and she was saying that she felt with her first baby, she had a cesarean section. And she felt really suffocated by the idea that she couldn't mobilise very much in the early days because she felt like that choice had been taken away from her. Second baby, she chose to have a caesarean section. And she said she was, you know, it was going to be a very intentional first week in bed, second week on the sofa. And she found that incredibly empowering Mm. because she understood more why that was so important. They don't give you this information always. So you understand what's happening with the hormones and what's happening physically in the body. Um, Okay, so what if you've got a toddler or an older kid or kids running around and you kind of feel like, it's all well and good, these people telling us to have a week in bed and a week on the sofa, but I've got a family running around and, you know, someone shouting for Cheerios and, you know, wanting to be played with. 
what do we do? I think, I'm sure Becky will echo this in a moment, I really think it comes down to planning. And we put so much energy whilst we're pregnant into antenatal classes, reading up on birth, um, working out, you know, the different plans that we might have for how we'd like our births to play out. But what if we just spent an hour breaking down how we're going to look after ourselves and how our support networks, our community can look after us for the four to six weeks after the baby's born. We might not be like those Moroccan women who everybody rallies around completely automatically, but we can certainly bring that in with a bit of planning. And where we do, and and where any of hopefully the ladies who are listening, um, or perhaps, you know, partners of them are listening to this podcast, it's just about if we can plan that in beforehand, we can bring those elements into our postnatal experience. And I, I actually had a... So when I had Isabel, Ella was two and a half and she was lively. Um, but she loved coming and eating her dinner. I mean, I remember once her saying, isn't it funny, mummy, we're having dinner in bed. And she thought it was hilarious. And, you know, we use the iPad. You know, you don't have to be a saint about it. Yeah. You know, we had Peppa Pig on repeat and, uh, you know... Good old Peppa Pig. Yeah, exactly. And we had, you know, friends and family come and help us with, you know various bits and bobs but it's about having a think about it before baby comes because once you're in the thick of it you're so tired even the thought of trying to plan it is too much but if you put that stuff in place before baby's there then and people loved supporting a new mum you know Mm. we're quite rubbish as a society asking for help but when you ask people you're Mm. a saying I trust you to come and help me and also you're opening up a dialogue like you're asking someone and then you're giving them permission to kind of do the same back so we always say to women you actually you know it's a compliment a lot of the time imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think one of the things I kind of struggled with um, was the feeling of other people wanting to come to meet the new baby or new babies and it kind of being about their experience Mm -hmm. of meeting this new baby when actually I felt like you know, whether it was because of hormones raging, whatever, I felt like I'm saying, but what about me? I'm not ready yet for visitors and balancing off because it might be family members mm-hmm. who want to come and meet their new member of their family. And it's quite hard to have that conversation of actually, could you come next weekend instead of this weekend and them not take offence? Yeah. So yeah. how do you kind of get that balance? Well, we often say when we teach our fourth trimester classes to people, we say, right, what, you know, first of all, think about who who would be helpful. So anyone that's going to come and cook for you and do your washing and, you know, and actually stay out of your way a little bit is going to be good. Um, 
And then to, to not offend people, we often say, why don't you say to them, look, when my partner goes back to work, I'm going to be on my own and I'm going to really need the support. So could I please book you in for then? Because that will mean the world to me. And then you get to have us on your own. And so actually, again, a bit of pre-planning and and, and not sucking up but you know like yeah uh, flattering them you know yeah. but but it, it but it's also true because actually what's the point of having everyone in that first two weeks when you've actually got someone there anyway and then having no one you yeah. know so we always say just say look let me book you in on this date let's get the diary out and book it in and you can book a couple of dates if you want and then it's going to mm-hmm. be really helpful if it looks like the people who are visiting it's going to require you to be hosting in any way cross them off the list for the first couple of weeks. What if it's your that sounds brutal, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you've got to know your own family. And, and, and I totally appreciate everybody's different. We always talk about this. Um, and I suppose, well, if it's, you know, somebody in the family who you know will come and will expect you to be making them a cup of tea, don't book them in for a lunchtime slot when they're going to be expecting a full roast dinner as well. Get them to come at 10 o'clock in the morning and then excuse yourself and say, you know, laugh it off and say, listen, guess who's going to be up at four in the morning tomorrow? It's going to be me. I'm just going to go off. And if the baby's asleep with them at the time, let them have a cuddle. When the baby wakes, bring the baby to you. But otherwise, just take your baby off and just have some skin to skin back in you. The privacy of your bedroom. Sounds perfect. So what can partners do to assist this period? Oh, we've got lots of tips and tricks (laughs) in the book about that. The the one that I always go on about to our ladies is... um, Obviously, when they're back at work, you know, uh, they the off the thing is often I can't do anything or there's nothing I can do because I'm leaving. And you're like, oh no, 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 no. When you're getting ready for work and you're making your breakfast, you can make a really big smoothie, like a pint of smoothie. Give that to mum before you leave. Then that way, while you're doing that early morning breastfeed and getting yourself slowly ready, you can drink that smoothie. Then if you live off toes for the rest of the day, you've had your nutrient hit, and it doesn't matter, you know. That's and genius. it's yeah, I, I mean it. it's so simple. While they're making their breakfast, all they have to do is just chuck everything. And you can, um, I think we talk about it in the book actually. You can pre-pack, so you can chop up all your veggies, put them in a bag, and put them in the freezer. So they literally maybe only even have to pull it out of the freezer, put it in, and add some milk. Yeah, you know? and you've and you've actually got some smoothie recipes. Yeah you in the book I love that kind of yeah. things that will give you energy mm. and um you know, easing. Easing. yes that's a popular one <laughs> iron boosting we get some great emails yeah. from ladies Tummy going it, the uh, constipation one really works and we're like good we're glad to hear <laughs> <laughs> like tmi <laughs> apparently there's also apparently you know how you can you can listen to white noise to soothe the baby there's also yeah. a, i think called brown noise which if you listen to it, it it's at a certain frequency mm-hmm. that will aid constipation so really perhaps you could drink wow. the smoothie whilst listening to brown Amazing. noise i'm gonna look that up i've never heard of it <laughs> but don't listen to it while you're on the train or driving <laughs> because apparently it might get a bit messy yeah i think going back to the partners thing as well Alison. i think it's we also have this understanding we're quite we're getting better at knowing the way that adrenaline affects like our oxytocin our love hormone our endorphins our pleasure our happy hormones we know that about birthing and lots of people will book on i teach it in a birthing classes they'll attend and they're like that makes perfect sense for birthing create that nest bring down the adrenaline the body will do what it needs to do We need to carry that on because that's exactly the same in the postnatal period. Mm. Having that nest, having that space and partners understanding this as well and being able to really protect that environment so that those postnatal hormones can do exactly what they need to do. We also always say, you know, there's a reason we get paternity leave. It's not annual leave. It's because actually we recognise as a society that it is a big adjustment getting to know your new baby Mm. and actually bringing the partner in folding them into that 
uh, and making it sort of a, a journey that you're all on together is really important. I think it's good though because I think that sometimes the partner can feel a little bit like a spare wheel and a little bit like they, they kind of don't know how to help and mm-hmm. what to do. So actually creating this role for yeah, them absolutely. and you know making it clear how important that role is could actually really help and I think again going back to that really slowing it down often when you haven't got hordes of visitors coming in you can they can find their feet as well because it's a massive adjustment for partners too and we don't often give them enough you know um, pay enough lip service to them and say actually they've got to find their feet as as the dad and the carer for you and they're not you know might not be something they're used to doing Mm -hmm. so having that slow postnatal period just gives you all a little bit more space to to go gently with yourselves this might sound a little bit odd but there have been four times in my life when the world stood still and I've often spoken about this with Becky Mm -hmm. the first time was when my dad died eight years ago very suddenly and it was like I was in a place outside of time and space and the only other times in my life I can relate to that was when Toby Ivy and Wilfie were born that is not to do with grief it was to do with the fact that I was somewhere in my mind like my feet were off the ground almost. And I can't recreate that at any other point because those moments have been so, you know, momentous in my life, really. I don't know if anybody sees what I mean. I guess, it, I guess it's a, each of those moments were life-changing to you. Life-changing, mm. absolutely. Just, me, you know, saying goodbye to my dad for the last time, meeting and getting to know my babies. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just incredible. And I think the thing that we notice from from working with cultures abroad is that there are lots of um, rituals and traditions that really hold space in the in those moments. So with birth, you know, women feel so held by all the rituals and traditions that happen, and that's not something we have in our society. People are starting to mm. go back. You know, more women now are having mother warmings, where there's a you know rather than a kind of baby shower, it's more about getting the mum ready and creating this sort of sacred like community for I love her. That. Yeah, it's beautiful. Some of the things are so lovely. So one of the things. Um, they do is they tie a red thread around so you you have one round the mum and you you link the whole circle of your women so whoever your friends are um you tie the red thread round you sort of tie it into knots and then then you cut it and uh, all the women wear that thread so in labor when you look down you can see that little thread and you think of all your ladies that are kind wow. of thinking of you and you wear it until the baby's born and then everyone takes it off that's so nice you know what a beautiful thing to make you feel supported and held it's funny though isn't it because the idea of a baby shower it's lovely obviously but it kind of feels like it's a bit of a party mm. and you all get together and you've got mm. balloons and you give presents and you have some cake mm. but actually there probably a lot of the time isn't that feeling of preparation mm. and nurturing and offers of help and support it's much mm-hmm. more kind of just a yeah. thing that we do yeah. there are a nice couple thing. of things that can be quite nice at baby showers that becky um, often talks about there's a couple of things you can get all of your your people around you to do an iou to say one thing you know that they might be able to come and help you with once the baby's born if that means i'm going to come one day and run you a bath and I'm going to hold the baby for half an hour while you have it. That's going to be my IOU for the sort of month after the baby's born. And then Becky has another lovely one whereby she gets um, all the, the your, your people who are with you at your shower or your, you know, mother warming uh, to write down a little positive, inspiring message, pop it in a jar for you to look at on day three after the baby's oh, born. Perfect. You know when the hormones are just wild yes, inside of you. Yes, crashing. <laughs> 
And we know that 80% of women will have baby baby blues on the week after the baby's born because of those, you know, what's happening, the chemical imbalances yeah. that are happening at that point. So that can be just a really nice thing. You like dive in and you sort of, you, you see these words and you feel held and you feel supported. That's so nice. Yeah, and again, it's about knowing, like knowing, like we all know day three is tricky. You know, I cried, I think, the whole day. Um, but if you've got a little something in place just to kind of give you that oxytocin boost, yeah. it can really make a difference. On my day three um, recently, I was sat there watching Strictly Come Dancing with tears streaming down my face. And my husband was turning to me and saying, what's the matter? And I was like, it's day three. <laughs> Actually, you know, it wasn't day three for me, but I had a C-section and they came early and it was it was probably day eight. But I knew that that's what was happening. And I said, it's fine, get the twins. And I basically did skin to skin and oh, I sat brilliant. there with them on me. I was like, I need oxytocin. <laughs> yeah. And then like an hour later, I was okay. Yeah, yeah it was amazing. Absolutely. You, and you did exactly the right thing because your oxytocin is very clever. And the week after the babies are born, it go, it really climbs. It climbs and climbs and climbs. But it's working against the drop in the oestrogen and the progesterone. So you were doing exactly the right thing. You're trying to, because it will struggle sometimes just to sort of overpower what's going on on the other side so yeah. perfect yes. and ongoing we always say to women actually for the whole of the first postnatal year if in doubt skin to skin like yeah. you can't go wrong with skin to it's, skin basically it's not for the first hour after the baby's born it is ongoing yeah. that's something actually that I really learned this time around was I thought well skin to skin when the baby's first born that's what you want to do mm. but then it might have even been reading your book I don't know but you know learning that actually carrying on doing skin yeah. to skin is a really good thing yeah definitely that's fab um, what were your own fourth trimesters like? Because I'm guessing, you know, especially with you, Becky, having slightly older children, mm. this wasn't really being talked about back then. No, I did. I had two very different. So with, with Ella, I had a really tricky birth, um, back to back, really, really long, had to transfer from home to hospital. Um, and then she was poorly. She had We had an undiagnosed blood incompatibility. So she got taken off to NICU. She was in an incubator. So I was in hospital for about... 10 days in the end I think um, and I had a really difficult breastfeeding journey so it was just it was hard and actually I, I was never diagnosed but I think I had a bit of PND you know but back then it wasn't spoken about as much as it is yeah. um, with Isabel I had a home birth um, and I stayed in bed I did the skin to skin and I didn't leave the house for ages and it was just so different you know it was a very different experience I had a better best breastfeeding journey whether that was just because it was second time I think a lot of it was to do with the fact that I wasn't you know stressed and yeah, you know um, so I think you know it was difficult I think it really helps me with my work because I think I can um I can empathize with both so I can I really know how to hold a woman who's been through a, a difficult birth but I can celebrate brilliant births as well so it's I think yeah it's probably set me up for what I do today yeah absolutely I'd say that my first two you know number one is just such a massive adjustment isn't it and yeah. I remember thinking before he arrived I'm a midwife. I know what newborn babies do. I know what it's like to do night shifts and being up through the night. And I got to be honest, it blindsided me. And I think it was because I was a bit cocky mm. before he arrived. Because I'd had a fertility journey to have Toby, and it took us two and a half years to get there with Clomid and mm. such like, because I've got PCOS, we decided not to use contraception very early. And guess what happened? Immediately pregnant nine months after. So then I had two babies in 18 months and that first five months with Ivy and Toby, wow, it was just on a different level. And, you know, I don't know if you saw in the book Alexis's Freedom Friday. 
Um, yeah, I did, yeah. That's, that was coined from that time, was one night my husband came back from work and I was crying in the garden and I just had the most awful, awful time getting Toby to bed, juggling everything. We had a little dog at the time. I remember sitting on the loo that day and I had the baby in my arms, Toby looking at me and the dog was like scratching at the door and I just thought, who am I? Like, where did I go? I'm just like this this vessel that's needed, but I don't know who I am anymore. So actually it was Dan who said, two hours on a Friday evening, because that's just what worked with our schedule, just go and do what you need to do. And it became longer, obviously, as, as Ivy needed me uh, a little bit less, and then I just go out for a full evening on a Friday. And it was a little something that just meant that whatever was happening in the week, I knew that I was going out for a drink or a meal with one of my friends on a Friday evening and it was just a little something just for me where I could just be Alexis. Yeah, I think that's so important. Really you, important. You really, it's so common to lose that sense of identity, isn't it? And to feel yeah. like you are just here to mm-hmm. look after these small creatures and that is Absolutely. your only purpose in life. And I know maybe some um, mums-to-be or mums are listening and think, oh, but I don't know if I can have a couple of hours out. I had a friend who had twin boys the year before I had Toby and I used to go, probably when the boys were a couple of months old onwards, and she was exclusively breastfeeding them, She, which, you know, it's just on a different level, isn't it, really? And I used to go and see her. She'd be feeding them. She'd throw them at me pretty much, which I loved because I didn't have babies at that stage. <laughs> and then she and her husband would go out an hour and a half, two hours max for a curry up the road. They weren't allowed to talk about the boys while they were there. Which must have been so hard. <laughs> yeah, probably very hard. But she said it was really important for them. Yeah. And then they'd come back. I mean, as you know, because you've got twins, yeah. they were really quite regimented in looking after the boys. And so actually that was just that little bit of freedom for them. So that little window. I think that's, yeah, yeah really important. And I think that's probably, again, where you can call on friends. You know, not everyone's got family members mm. nearby who can come and babysit for... Yeah you know, a couple yeah. of hours, but saying to friends, look, you know, for yeah. just for an hour and a half or two hours, can you come and look mm-hmm. after the baby and let me just go and sit in a coffee shop and yeah, read a book or, yeah. you know, Absolutely. walk around the supermarket yeah. for a couple of hours can and just <laughs> feel normal again. It's such an honour supporting a new mum and you know that they would do the same in return if they were able to. Mm. And I don't know what it is. Again, it's this like stiff upper lip that we don't want to ask for it. But you'd be surprised when you do, even if you haven't got family around necessarily. But also we used to talk about bringing in each other. So um, I used to work at a clinic for women with PND and we'd say, okay, it's important. You need to have some time off. So could you buddy with another mum? And so we would often have, you know, two women in one, you know, on a Tuesday, they'd go to that person's house and that mum could have a break and then they'd swap over, you know, meeting. I know there were quite a lot of Mm. people doing this um, where you meet at a cafe and you all get a coffee and go for a walk together yeah things like that make such a difference because yeah. again it's connection and it's kind of you know a lot of people don't have massively supportive families but you can pull that support in from mm. other mums are like your lifeline often yeah um and where do you think social media kind of fits into all of this because do you think that social media is a bit of a lifeline when you are in those early stages or do you think that it's a a negative thing because you're you know looking at what other mums are doing and comparing yourself with them I think it's I think it can be a bit of both and you need to just really trust your instinct if you're finding that it's inspiring to hear other women talking about their journeys being honest about it um 
I'm just watching Amy Schumer recently. Her Instagram account. She's amazing. amazing. Isn't she? I am. Lo- I love that she she put a picture up the other day. You know, milf at one o'clock, and it's her like on the toilet in her gown. You know, she's just had a baby. Yeah. The real side of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm just I I love it, and I think that you know just be be cautious and careful as to who you follow and what you know fills you up and if there are some accounts that perhaps make you feel like what you're doing isn't good enough or you know you're kind of you're failing at this motherhood lark then just don't follow those mm. accounts because there's a lot of um there are definitely a lot of pages on Instagram that that I find quite inspiring to be honest yeah i think definitely the change from like when i had ella and i don't i think facebook hadn't even started yet or maybe it was just coming um it could be quite isolating being being a mum and you know sort of only meeting mums at play groups and so I think it's been brilliant for connecting women but I think you do have to use it carefully and just remember that I mean I always talk about a story so a friend of mine we had kids at the same time and she was out from like day four like out all the time and she was at the Tate she was at the V&A and I remember looking at her thinking god wow she is nailing this and I'm barely getting to Sainsbury's and back um but I really wanted to take it slow and so we met up for a a glass of wine I think the kids were like two months and we went to the local had a glass of wine and I said oh you know you're doing so well and she burst into tears and she said I'm not I can't be at home I have to be out of the house I feel suffocated and so I'd been looking at her thinking she was nailing it she was walking the streets because she couldn't be at home with her baby so what you see is not always what's actually going on and I always say to my ladies just be really just remember there's always an other side to the story yeah, and yeah. don't compare yourself is the is the biggest oh, thing isn't like, it? totally but and also you're allowed to say it's hard you're allowed to say it's challenging and still like we go back to it be also be grateful and find that overall it is one of the most enriching things you've ever gone through in your life you're allowed to have those two sides to the same coin that's okay that is motherhood it's normal isn't it it's interesting actually because i i try to be quite balanced with what i show on social media so you know the good and the bad um, and I spotted um, somebody saying, um, oh, that Alison Perry, she's always moaning about about, the, about her twins and mm. saying how hard it is and actually, you know, how hard can it be and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, it really made me look at myself and think, do I always moan? And I thought, actually, I don't. I think no, I am quite balanced. And I think that, like you say, it's mm. okay to talk about the hard times. And I actually think that's quite important mm. because if you've got other people following you who are at a similar stage and they're having those kind of tough days and those challenges mm. to see other people going through them and talk about them quite openly mm-hmm. can be really helpful. Absolutely. And, and people learn from each other. I have a real problem with people making narky comments like that on social media. I just like, if you don't like something, just stop looking. Don't You don't have to then go on and say, oh, why do you know? I just mm. think I, I look at things and I'm like, yeah, it's not really my thing. Swipe, you know, it's like, yeah. just I don't know. But also I think that sometimes perhaps if you say even in one comment or a couple of comments that you're having a tricky day, some people just take that on as how you are experiencing motherhood and they don't look at the full picture. Yeah, that's mm. true. And not and no one can consume everything that you put out there and you know you're the only person who really knows everything that you are saying absolutely also this is a whole different conversation but it's good for kids to see that sometimes it's hard for you and that you're only human and you're doing your very very best Mm. imagine if a child only ever saw you upbeat and that was the only okay way to present yourself in the world of motherhood emotionally 
I mean, that wouldn't be necessarily well, great either. Is it? It's not realistic no. about life, is it? Yeah. And I think that's something that's probably a fairly new thing as well, to show yourself as being vulnerable as mm-hmm. a mum to your kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's actually, it's okay to say to your kids, I'm having a bit of a hard day today. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling a bit mm-hmm. sad today. Like mm-hmm. at the weekend... Um, I was having a real kind of like hormonal, just felt really down and blue mm. and took my daughter to the cinema and sat there in the darkness crying. Like, and I knew mm. as it was happening that it was just some sort of hormonal thing and nothing to worry about. And actually, by the end of the film, it was a bit of a weepy film anyway. So I it was saw fine. your story. It is a really, I saw the first film, you know, the first it was, so the, film, the film was a dog's journey <laughs> and it's basically about this dog that keeps dying. It's so, really sad. So you're going to cry. <laughs> so it was actually okay that I was sat there in tears because I think everybody else was too. Um, but I think that in that situation, it's okay to chat to your children and say, like, mum's having a bit of a bad day today. Mm. You know, it's normal and it's fine. Yeah. You know, last night, and Wilf turned three in April, and this he has never been a good sleeper. My first two were, and I totally thought it was me and that I was just really good at getting that into their lives. And that. it turns out, mm-mm, <laughs> wrong. Last night, Dan slept on the floor beside him for about three hours. We, we sort of tag team with these things still to this day. Like, fatigue is such a big issue with new mums ongoing with parenthood. And of course, cortisol loves fatigue cracks itself right out and that stress hormone sort of mm. sort of ends up being in your bloodstream when you're very very tired when you're not resting well and it affects everything so I think is I just can't believe that somebody would never experience a little bit of that adrenaline bubbling away inside and having a bit of a tricky day of course of course um, listen, ladies, I could talk to you all day, but <laughs> we should wrap things up. Um, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been a joy oh, to talk to you. Thanks for thank having you. us. Thank, thank you, you so much. Big thanks to Alexis and Becky. I kind of want them to be my new best friends. Is that weird? Uh, thanks to you for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and I'll catch you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.